Hey, it's Open Threads. It's my podcast. I'm Brian Castle. Welcome to it. Today, I'm talking to my friend Tyler King. He is the founder of LessAnnoyingCRM.com. What a name, right? Hey, here's my real-time-ish update for you, and I'm recording this one on May 6th, 2024. First, I just want to say that once and for all, the name of this podcast, I'm sticking with the name Open Threads. <laughs> you may have noticed I had briefly renamed it there uh, in early 2024. I was using the name Full Stack Founder. Well, long story short, I'm sunsetting that brand name and that website. It was a short-lived project that just didn't quite stick. So this podcast is back to its original name, Open Threads, from here on out. Okay, so uh, my... So as for my update, uh, you know, my main focus now continues to be instrumental products. That is my product studio where I partner with clients mainly on UI and UX work. And uh, I specialize in designing modern interfaces for SaaS companies. And I deliver my designs in the form of coded HTML and Tailwind CSS templates and components. So that's the uh, the main um, service that I've been working with a couple of clients lately on, and uh, it's something that I continue to uh, to really double down on the rest of this year. Other than that, I'm spending the rest of my time building out some new software products of my own to uh, to add to my small portfolio. My main SaaS product, Clarity Flow, continues to run smoothly uh, with my small team, and we're always working on some imp improvements there. So that's my update for now. On to the show. So as you might imagine, they are a CRM software company, customer relationship management, and they are less annoying than the, than the vast number of competitors in that super competitive space. And that's actually what I wanted to talk to Tyler about today. They've been successfully running this SaaS company for over 10 years now, multiple millions in ARR. So they have figured out a thing or two or three when it comes to growth, but it's still something that all these years in, even a company of, of their size and experience still struggles with this idea of growth and finding the next growth channel and even understanding where the current growth is even coming from. Like, believe it or not, like when you look at these companies that are that have been around and they're well-established, you might be surprised to know that so many of them don't have growth completely figured out. And I mean, kind of ranting and, and raving and complaining about how difficult it is to do the work of marketing and to understand marketing strategy. That's one of my favorite things to complain about every day. Um, so what better idea for, for a podcast episode to, to invite Tyler on to kind of commiserate on, on that stuff? I should also mention Tyler is the co-host of one of my favorite other podcasts called Startup to Last. You know, they're talking about bootstrapping behind the scenes very similar to what I do on Bootstrapped Web with, with Jordan Gall. So that, that's another one I highly recommend. For now, let's talk to Tyler about growth. Hey, Tyler, how's it going, man? Doing good, how are you? Doing good, yeah, great to uh, connect. We were just talking offline that like, I feel like you and I have spoken a lot in the last year or so, and this is actually the very first time we're speaking live because everything else yeah. has been asynchronous on, on Zip Message. 
This is like a boomer conversation we're having right now where we're both actually present. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. So you're, of course, the founder of Less Annoying CRM. I mean, I think in this chat here, we'll talk a bit about marketing and growth. But one thing just right off the bat that clearly you guys have gotten really right is the branding and the name. I actually think that that that's got to like work wonders for you from a growth standpoint, you know, like it's like marketing, positioning, messaging right from the name itself. Yeah, it's I mean, some people hate the name Less Annoying CRM. Like there are a lot of people who are like, I can't show this to my boss. Like they're going to laugh me out of the room. So it, it works against us sometimes. But yeah, when you're doing the whole like jobs to be done, positioning, messaging exercise, like we get to skip a step. Normally, you have some name that doesn't mean much. And then in your H1, you have to explain what it actually is. And our name kind of explains it. And then that gives us a lot of freedom to be like, well, Less Annoying CRM, you already got you got the gist. What else is there to say, you know? <laughs> yeah. And also it's a CRM. So you're in this like hyper competitive space, maybe one of the most competitive spaces for, for right. SaaS. Yeah. The original SaaS. I feel like having a name like that. I mean, it's also like a conversation starter. So it like gets you into the conversation, right? Like if you're looking at literally like a list of 50 CRMs, the name less annoying CRM stands out just from its uniqueness, you know? Yeah, when we've done customer interviews, like a bunch of people have said, like, okay, first I looked at Salesforce, then I looked at HubSpot, then I looked at Pipedrive, and I was pulling my hair out, and I was on CRM number 12. I scrolled through this huge list, and we're like number, you know, 87 on the list or whatever. And they're like, I saw your name, and I had to click. I think a lot of companies don't like, they don't brand themselves acknowledging the reality that they're like a really, really tiny fish. They like try to do this like Slack or Stripe type of branding where it's just it means nothing and everyone knows who you are. And like, yeah, I don't know. That's hard. (laughs) Well, you know, in this chat, I thought we would talk about growth and marketing in general. And uh, maybe both of us would just sort of complain about how how hard it is. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorite things to complain about. But like you guys have been around a while and you've figured out a thing or two, you know, you're at like several million ARR. I do want to point folks to your Mixergy interview that you did a few months back. I thought that was that was really great. And, you know, you get like the whole backstory. So we won't do all that here. But sure. But what I am curious about, like before we get to like the present day and how we think about marketing and growth here in 2022, I mean, maybe give us a quick like what year did did Less Annoying actually start and what were the some of the early wins or like key milestones, like first customers and then the, like the next hundred customers and then, you know, from there. Yeah, so we started in 2009, and we didn't really have an official launch, but we kind of retroactively said it was January 1st, 2010, is around when the product was in a state where someone could actually sign up and use it. So we're going on uh, almost 13 years now. Yeah, the world was very different back then. Like, there was Salesforce and there was Basecamp, and I probably, like, the term SaaS barely existed at the time. So in the early days, I think we were basically like, whereas the game now is there's all this competition and you have to stand out. In the early days, it was trying to convince people like, oh, no, you can buy software online. Like you don't have to. It's like secure enough. So that was kind of the challenge. we were facing Like let alone time, subscription software, just putting your right. credit card for anything on the Internet was like. Yeah, exactly. Like our homepage, I was actually just looking back at some of our old homepage mockups and they were like they had this whole justification for monthly fees instead of uh, one time payments and stuff like that. And all that has changed. But yeah, in terms of like early wins and stuff, it took us a few months to get our first our first customer. And really, these were people who 
the product was so bad, no one would ever buy it in today's world. It was just that there was not much else out there at the time. We only really have ever had one big marketing win. And that was, do you remember the Chrome Web Store back in the day? Like, not the current version of it, but when it launched? I don't remember when it launched, no. So, like, nowadays, the Chrome Web Store... Yeah. Like, you use it, or you have a Chrome extension, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And I use Chrome and extensions all the time. I just don't remember when they started. Yeah. Well, so that's what it is today. What it used to be was, like, Google was doing this anti-iOS play of, like, let's make a directory of all web apps, basically. And so... Instead of installing native apps, let's use web apps. It wasn't about extensions at the time. And that came out, you know, a year or two after we started. And I got listed on there the first day. I was like, sure, let's be on there. And we just got a ton of free traffic from that. It's basically that and Google AdWords was kind of our early growth. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these bootstrapped SaaS that really had success in, in, you know, starting from around 10 years ago, that's when like Google, that was like the the heyday of Google AdSense, right? Like, or, or AdWords. AdWords, yeah. It was great. At the time, I thought it was very expensive. And now looking back on it, man, I would give anything to go back to those days. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I see how that can give you like the first launch and and turn nothing into something, right? But then what did it look like, let's say like five years ago, right? Like you must have still found some things that were working. I don't necessarily know what they are. I'm spiraling where I keep kind of thinking one thing and then thinking another. And where I currently am is thinking... A lot of stuff we've done has worked. It just no one thing has worked well enough that any of them stood out. You know, we placed a lot of small bets, but we've got directory listings on like G2 and Captera and websites like that. We suck at SEO, but after 13 years, you can't help but have some organic search traffic coming in. We advertise with probably like 10 different random little sites where we're paying. I wonder if you you get any search traffic for people just typing in and not knowing your (laughs) brand name or anything. And they're just (laughs) typing in like like less annoying CRM. Is there one of those? I've heard one person tell me that that happened before. So at least (laughs) once that has happened. And they were like, no way is there a company named this. (laughs) Great. (laughs) I mean, even Google is like smart enough now to know like, if you type like less frustrating CRM, like they would like associate that with with you probably. Yeah. The game I used to play because we existed before Google did the like autocomplete while you were typing thing. And as soon as they launched that, I was like, how many letters of less annoying CRM? Because it's a long name. How many letters do I have to type before it guesses it? It wasn't until you got to the CRM. And then gradually, like at one point I typed like L-E-S-S space A and it filled in less annoying CRM. And I was like, we made it. We've done it. <laughs> <Very cool. laughs> Very cool. I'm also curious about, so you're sort of like me in, in that like you're like a product first, right? Would you say? like, Yeah, formally educated in computer science, but like kind of half design, half programming, really. Cool. Yeah, I'm sort of the same, except started as a designer and sort of hacked together some backend skills later on, but very much a product person. And I always felt like I've figured a thing or two out with, or I've been lucky with marketing, I would say, in the last 10 plus years. But I've never felt like it was a strong side of of the tool belt for me. That's funny because you ran a basically marketing agency, right? (laughs) (laughs) And like I ran a content marketing agency and like we're doing a bit of content and SEO stuff with ZipMessage. And it's like we actually have a strategy. And it's like we didn't even like do like the things that we're doing now in ZipMessage are not even things that we were doing in in audience ops. and, And, you know, actually on that note, what was interesting, it was. Part of this frustration with me, when I was doing sales calls for audience ops over the years, 
it transitioned like in the very early years, it was like, we will sell you content marketing because content marketing will work to get you customers. And, and that's the right strategy. Right. But it sort of very quickly shifted toward like, we don't know what's going to work. If you're convinced that you need content done, then we are a production shop that we will produce content for you. And we're very efficient at that, but we're not here to do the strategy or get you customers, quote unquote. We're just here to write the articles that you believe will get you customers. Yeah, because I mean, that's one thing that I keep telling myself content marketing has to be like it fits our price point, our skill set, all that. And that's one thing that just I've never really been able to prove a connection between writing content and getting customers in a meaningful way. Yeah, I mean, we're investing in it right now, but I think that my basic understanding from what I can gather from from some folks is really most of it, it happens at like bottom of the funnel intent. You know, so you want to like optimize your product pages and, and, and things like that, but you're probably not, that's going to be super competitive, hard to get links pointing to your product pages. So the next best thing is to write articles that are like comparing tools, including yours. I'm like torn on this. Like, I don't want to publish articles that list my competitors, you know? <laughs> right. Well, especially because you're kind of in a new space. Like we're on opposite ends of the spectrum where... With us, when someone comes to us, we don't need to tell them what a CRM is. We don't need to pitch them on the value that they already know. With you, you're kind of saying like, hey, here's this new thing that maybe you've never heard of before, which, yeah, it's talking about competition and stuff like that. Like, that's how we were in the early days. We got a lot of customers because they didn't know about other options, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. It was in my previous businesses. Like, they just weren't aware of the competitors. And I think that with content, like the one thing that I've started to really separate now is investing in article writing content versus investing in audience or brand. Like those are completely different things now. I think a few years ago, people used to think of them as the same, but I think they're very different now. Well, and like, what is the difference in your mind between SEO and content marketing? Well, content marketing could be pretty broad, but when I think of SEO, we're going to be creating content that's like text-based, you know, articles, essentially. But SEO also includes optimizing your homepage and your product information pages and your comparison pages, right? Like there's SEO in that too. I was reading the book Traction by Gabriel Weinberg, not the Traction everyone thinks of, but the other book called Traction. It differentiates between the two and Kind of the impression I get by the book's definition is that like content marketing is meant to be enjoyed by people and like it succeeds by, you know, people might share it or whatever, whereas SEO is like meant to be enjoyed by Google's algorithm, basically. And not that they're mutually exclusive, but like it is kind of a different approach, I think. Yeah, I think that content is also pretty broad and, and it could in include written articles. In terms of just written articles, I think of some that are like bottom of the funnel, like you're about to buy a tool like this. Here's an article about buying tools like this. And then there's more top of funnel, which is like how to run a sales team because you're a sales manager. And maybe there's some SEO juice for that. That's not necessarily buying intent. But then there's like another class of content that's like, I think more like thought pieces. It doesn't matter at all about the SEO value of this. It's just interesting or it's like taking a, a stance on something and yeah and and, that, and that's I think more the are, audience side you were talking about that's more on the audience and even content marketing too it's like meant to be shared or meant to convince your people of some thing you know yeah you said like you're making a big difference between audience building and like 
I forget what the other one is like getting conversions or something like that. What are you focusing on? I think of it as like there's like audience and brand stuff, and that could be a number of different projects. And then there's just pure SEO driven article development. Right. Okay. But you said you're doing content stuff now, which are you doing both of those? Are you focusing on one or the other? Both. Yeah. The SEO article stuff is like up and running. I have a, a writer, a separate like SEO keyword strategist who he just researches keywords and creates briefs that we then hand to the writer. And then I have a marketing coordinator sort of manages that, but then she's also involved in the audience brands. I'm curious to ask you about that, actually. So like with over the years, right, because you have a team of like, what, what's your team size now? 19 people now. 19. So when it comes to hiring people to work on marketing stuff, what's been your approach to that? Like, were you or are you ever like, you're going to be hands on in it, or I'm going to hire like a head of marketing to figure it out and run with it or outsource to an agency? What what are your thoughts? on? Yeah, I'm happy to share. But let me preface this by saying like, this is my greatest weakness or like the thing that we've probably done worse, just a terrible job at. In the early days, like I did most of the marketing for a long time myself. My brother, who's the other co-founder, did some as well. One of my weaknesses is outsourcing. I'm just like terrible at quick transactional relationships. So I've basically never effectively hired anyone that's not a full-time employee, which is, I think, the opposite of most people in our space. The good side of this is like, I think we've got a really good culture and all this, but the bad side is like, it's not... I've never been in a situation where it's like, oh, we need some quick copywriting. Let me pay someone for $20 to do some copyright. I just would do it myself and I'm okay at it, but I'm not an expert at any of this stuff. We didn't have a real marketing person until two years ago. Like no person who was working on any sort of marketing? The biggest team of the company is CRM coaches, which is basically customer service. They get 20% time. So one day a week they can do other stuff. So we've had a lot of CRM coaches like enjoying writing is a common characteristic of people who like customer service. So a lot of them have chosen to write help articles, to write blog posts, to create content like that. I like that model of content marketing, essentially, right? Like having your subject matter experts create some content. The problem is we're not subject matter experts. Like, you know, close the CRM with Steli's. So Steli is like this Uber sales guy, right? He knows everything about sales. And that's like CRMs are consumed by salespeople. I look at his content, I'm like, wow. I wish anyone at Less Annoying CRM had that kind of understanding of how, like, we have no salespeople. None of us have ever done sales before. We're selling to salespeople. We're experts on how to build software and how to provide customer service, which is not what our customers want to know. I agree with you. That would be a great model. But this is one of our great struggles is we can write interesting content, but it is interesting to people who would never use Less Annoying CRM. It just made me think of like my friend Brad Tunar, who ran Delicious Brains. He just recently sold it. It's like a big, it's a software dev shop and they make developer tools, right? So all of their tools are very, very technical only for developers. One of the things that they've had success with is having their in-house software developers write technical articles. They're too technical to be able to outsource content. That's great. And that's been working well for them. I hear you like you guys are basically like a software shop first. You're not like a sales team first. Right. There's like that classic co-founder pair of like, you know, this person was a travel agent and this person builds software and now they can build really good software for travel agents. We don't have that domain expert at all, really. I'm curious how you're because, you know, you're doing this pivot to coaches and consultants. I think you're probably closer to that world than I am to the world of sales, but like you're not 
a deep domain expert in that, right? Yeah, no, I'm not. And this is one of the things that made me a little bit nervous about starting to focus on coaches because probably for the first time, although I use that message every single day, I'm a user of it. You know, we're finding that our best customers are coaches, but I don't identify as a coach and, and I never really have. I've dabbled in it a couple of years ago when I was doing productized stuff, but like never as like a real business thing. And I don't do any of it today. So this is definitely the first time where we're doing marketing things, speaking to people who are not like me. So I have a little bit of a harder time writing an article or an email knowing that it's going to resonate because I can't put myself in their shoes necessarily, you know. But I would say that one of the other reasons I'm excited about going after coaches here is because it is one of those verticals that is pretty broad and it's not impossible to like outsource writing on topics. And I feel like everyone has some sort of experience with coaches, even me like dabbling in it. But like Claire, our new marketing coordinator, like she does coaching on the side too. And she's well connected to many other coaches. She's in other communities. So that that sort of helps. Even our our writer, Kat, like she's not necessarily a full-time coach, but she's familiar with it, familiar with the territory. And I mean, the subject matter We've done a ton of interviews, so we really have a lot of like voice of customer data and like actual stories from actual coaches that we pull from. But the things that they're talking about are not like super technical. Like we're not speaking to developers. We're not speaking to doctors or lawyers where we have to have like really technical industry accuracy, right? We're basically talking about business topics in the context of building a coaching business, you know? So like, I guess like what we're doing is from a SEO article standpoint, we're doing a mix of bottom of funnel, like you're shopping for tools to run your coaching business. We're in the mix there. We have articles about that. And then we have more top of funnel articles that are more about like how to start a coaching business, how to grow a coaching business, how to do group coaching, like things like that. And then on the content side, and we're just getting started with this right now, we're going to soon be launching like a community for coaches, like yeah. a private. Uh, that's been my dream for a long time. I mean, I think that's another interesting area with marketing. I think this is one of the things today that is really hard to pull off and do well, and it won't happen quickly. It'll definitely be a long-term play. But if you can get this right, that like this community thing, some form of community, that's like the most effective. If pay-per-click ads are way too expensive, like a non-starter these days, and even content marketing and SEO is, is just extremely competitive. And Google is showing half the front page of just ads anyway. Building a community with your ideal customers like that. To me, I'm thinking of that as like a product in itself. Like give them an experience that's, that's great. Hey, real quick. This podcast is sponsored by Instrumental Products. That's my product studio where I and my small crew, we take new product ideas from concept to launched. I'm a full stack product designer and developer, and I love collaborating with fellow founders, creators, and SaaS companies to bring that spark of energy into new product ideas. Think of instrumental products as your shortcut to shipping that next idea and getting it into the hands of your customers as efficiently as possible. Got something to ship? Let's talk. Visit instrumentalproducts.com to learn more. It's word of mouth on steroids. Like everybody wants word of mouth. And I hear a lot of people say, oh, we're, you know, 
that's not even a real channel. Don't call it that. I think it is. And I think like Less Annoying gets most of our customers from that. But once in our past, there was a Facebook group created by one of our customers who was a travel agent. So it was like Less Annoying Serum for Travel Agents was the group. And it got a few hundred members. And like, again, we didn't even create it, but like they invited me and I joined it. And like once a month, I would go in and answer a question in there. And it kept growing and growing and all this great goodwill would build up and someone would post a question and it'd be half about the CRM, but half about how to use it as a travel agent. I'd be like, I didn't even know travel agents still existed until six months ago. I don't know the answer to this, but someone else would go in and answer the question for me. And uh, yeah, if you could do that, but instead of it being this weird tiny niche of your customers, be the main core group, that would be huge. Yeah. And I mean, think about all the different communities and whether it's like Facebook groups or Slack groups or other places online where people are like, hey, what do you all use for your CRM for your business? And then there's a thread and hopefully you are mentioned in there, probably alongside all of your competitors. But I'm sure like how many customers have have you gotten just from someone in a comment thread in a community somewhere answering the question of like, which CRM do you does everybody here use? Right. Yeah, probably a bunch. We were dabbling with doing a community, but A, I keep getting scared off by like moderation and like it's just a big responsibility. But B, our problem is we're not as niche. Like we haven't found an industry or some other niche the way you have. So we're like for small businesses. And like we did a little dipping our toe in the water and we were like, that's not actually a community. Like coaches, that's a community. Small businesses is not. No one like thinks of themselves as a small business owner, they think of themselves as a coach or a travel agent or an insurance agent or whatever. So that's why we haven't. We're still uh, in the process of dipping our toes in the water here and like starting to niche down and even starting to do this community thing. So I have no idea if if it would be the right strategy or even if we'll be successful with with executing it. But it is hard, you know, because I think, I don't think like the mod, like moderating is one thing, but I think just making it good you know, because like it can't just be we're this product company and come join our community all about our own product. It's got to be like actually valuable, which means you need to basically hire at least one person to to be the one to really drive the energy and like talk to people every day and run many workshops in the community and keep them engaged and all this different stuff. So, yeah. I feel like most marketing attempts, in my experience, that have failed, like at the end of the day, you could look back on it and it's exactly the problem you just said. It's like, we put effort into it. We tried to make it good, but we were doing what we wanted. We weren't giving anyone anything they wanted. And it really sucks when you have to market your marketing. Like you make an ebook and then you're like, okay, now I have to, okay, how does anyone hear about this ebook? And it's like, if they're not already looking for it, like this is Justin Jackson's whole thing about like writing an existing wave, right? If you're putting something out there, even if it's good, but if nobody wants it, now you've got a second marketing challenge of getting people to your the top of your main marketing funnel. Yeah. I was going to like send you a private ZM about this. I don't know if, if you're open to talking about this kind of like future marketing ideas for mm-hmm. less annoying, sure. but like, you know, I was hearing you talk about it on your podcast the other day and like trying to sort of brainstorm new channels that you can unlock. I'm sure you're probably already thinking about this because you're what over, over 10 years in now in this business, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about how you have the less annoying CRM brand so well. Like, have you thought about just firing up new product? Yes. We have a few misadventures in this in the past. Like less annoying invoicing and less annoying whatever else. So our name as a company is actually Less Annoying Software LLC, 
because this has been kind of the idea, like no one grows up and dreams of starting a CRM company. Like it's a pretty boring thing to, <laughs> to make. But the idea was like, what is the core thing that everything else would build off of? And so, yeah, that has been the plan. And we've every once in a while, we start going down that path. And then coincidentally, the main business like starts doing better. And we're like, it's hard to justify putting resources into this side thing when, you know, you could put the same resources into like, you've just got a lot more leverage focusing, I think. But I'm conflicted about that. Well, one argument to make for it, I think, is that you already have a huge customer base and an even larger audience like email list, right? Or at least people who have tried it in the past, maybe didn't fully convert, but then you still have all these paying customers, right? So you instantly have an audience, like whatever new product you launch, as long as it's in the same set of needs, you can instantly launch to over 10K MRR, right? Like within a few weeks of, of launching it, you're at a huge head start against every other new SaaS startup. Yeah. So how do you decide whether to build it as a new product versus build it into the existing one is one question I've struggled with. What you're saying makes absolute sense from like a revenue standpoint. Like if we build it into our existing product, then it's like providing value to people and it gets a lot of usage, but you don't make any money off of it. Yeah, it sort of depends on what kind of product it is. I, I would think that the the breakdown there would be it goes in and, and we're about to build a bunch of new features, which maybe should be their own product, but I don't, I don't know. But the breakdown I would think is like if it's still in CRM land, but just bigger, more powerful CRM land or maybe like a super automated CRM, like that's like a new, more expensive plan on the existing product. But if it's an adjacent product that like some customers might find valuable and, and use and other customers might not be interested at all, spin off a separate product. But I really do think that like you also have the, the branding advantage too. Like you could literally call your line of products like less annoying this, less annoying that, you know. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So sometimes I like feel this weird FOMO about like when you listen to true impressive entrepreneurs on podcasts or follow them on Twitter or whatever, and they're like, well, all I did was I took out a $5 million loan somehow and hired a bunch of people and like super leveraged myself and built it very quickly. Every once in a while, I'm like, I should do that. Like, yeah, we've got this equity. We could leverage it and we could grow faster and do more. And then I'm also like, oh man, it's hard enough doing one thing. <laughs> yeah. For me, like sitting here with a, with just a tiny team and I'm always like struggling to figure out like which resources I'm going to put on which things and which things can we not do because we don't have the resources right now. You know, I always look at, at these other companies and friends companies that have teams, you know, that have really built out and I'm like, oh, you can do everything. Can like two of your employees over on <laughs> Nope. <that>. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, like, actually, you might be right. Like if we were starting a brand new Greenfield project, I guess we could probably move roughly as quick. I mean, you never move as fast as the founder does. Like no employee ever moves as fast as the founder because like they're not going to put in nights and weekends and all that stuff. We could move a lot faster if we did that. The thing that I didn't appreciate until we got bigger is just how slow everything moves on the main business now, because we've got five software engineers and two DevOps engineers, and we're shipping stuff faster than we ever have before. But like our NPS score is actually dropping right now, which suggests to me that the competition is moving faster than us. And it's hard to justify slowing down the pace that we're trying to improve our current product. Yeah. So I don't know. It's I think you're right, but also it's it's a tough set of trade-offs. I'm curious about this because again, like at several million ARR, you're you're at a very different 
landscape than what I'm looking at. You know, I'm still in total like startup land here. And so like, yeah, like what metrics are you generally looking at in terms of like deciding where to focus the energy? It, it sounds like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like lately you've been thinking about, we need to find some new marketing channels, right? So like, what is it about, what like metrics or numbers are you looking at that, that tells you like, well, that's the thing to focus on instead of reducing churn or whatever else it might be? Yeah. So we looked at this and basically, you know, we've got whatever amount of traffic hits our website and like, who could say, is it a lot or a little? I don't know. Like in a vacuum, it's hard to say. We looked at, okay, how many of those people sign up for free trials? Key thing here, you got to filter out people who are going to your site to log in. When we looked at it, 90% of our traffic to our homepage is current customers going to log in. So it looks like we had a really low conversion rate. And we kept A-B testing everything and we couldn't get it to go up. And then we realized 90% are already customers when you filter those out. Yeah, we that's actually a really a tricky decent. thing for zip message too, because we use our own domain for, for the whole app, including our marketing site. And so like, I actually have like different versions of analytics installed with code built in to see A, if they're logged in, but then we also have zip message conversations that can be shared publicly. Right. So how you, you don't have to be logged in to just be looking at somebody's conversation. And so we like filter the we have like a different view just to filter that stuff out. Yeah. Well, and then also like, let's say you so our most successful blog post ever was my brother, who's a like he's basically has a Ph.D. in data science, more or less. And he wrote this post about like baseball statistics, like advanced sabermetric stuff it has nothing to do with less wing CRM. But he wrote it. He wanted a place to publish it. So he put it on our blog like 11 years ago. Like it's a ton. Of and it got a ton of traffic. <laughs> you shouldn't like beat yourself up over having a bad conversion rate because people looking at Sabermetrics blog posts aren't signing up for the CRM afterwards. Well, I mean, now you guys have to go go build a Sabermetrics SaaS app. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the less annoying baseball statistics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so we try to filter out like who are the actual people who are potential, potentially might sign up for a free trial, what percentage of them convert. And I tried to compare those to industry benchmarks and who knows what, I think we're at one and a half percent conversion and I don't know, is that good or bad, but I think that's okay. It's not great. That gets them to a free trial. This is where our numbers all get good. So 25%-ish of free trial accounts pay, which for a no credit card trial, it's not like the best in the world, but it's, I think, pretty strong. And then if someone comes back a second time after signing up for the free trial, that number jumps to like 70 or 80%. So they're basically, they're either dropping off immediately or they're going to pay us. So, And then our, if you look at our churn, it's 1.5% per month or something like that, which more than half of our accounts are single users paying us $15. So pretty low value. 1.5% churn is pretty good for that type of customer. So we looked at all of this and we basically said, if someone comes back to our site a second time, they're going to pay us and they're not going to churn at a high rate. So we're just like, yeah, we could optimize that, but like, that's not what we're going to worry about. Getting people to come back a second time after they sign up for the free trial is like one of our top priorities. And then the second one is just more traffic because I think all our other numbers look okay. Do you do any sort of uh, sales, like phone sales or whatever? Historically, very little. What we do is we buy, it's called PPL, paper lead, um, where you kind of buy a lead that's, there are all these websites out there that say like, we'll help you pick the best CRM. And then people go to those websites, give them their contact info, talk to them, and then they basically sell that lead to people. It sounds real slimy, but actually we've found you can get some pretty qualified leads that way. 
even with them being that qualified, it's like arguably not worth the time because again, our average deal size is so small. But that's the only way we've really gotten it to work. We don't do any like outbound sales or kind of cold outreach to anybody. Right, right. It's so hard, man. Because it's like tracking it, just getting visibility. Like we were talking about the logged in users versus not logged in, but even anything else, like it takes so long. The thing that really kind of kind of pisses me off about all the marketing advice out there is like, oh, just do this or just test this. People always say like, well, just test this. Testing this means probably hiring someone. And if you're not hiring someone, then you are stopping everything else you were doing and you're going to work full time on this little idea. And it's not going to take a day. It's going to take a month just to launch it. And then you're going to need three, five, six months before you even know, is there meaningful data coming from this channel? I think there's no version of like, do just enough to test it to know if it's worth investing in. I think that you just need to strategize and pick a couple of big channels and take like huge bets, like spend yeah. half your year on these bets. I 100% agree. I used to like really buy into the data-driven mindset and like when it works, great. Like when something's easy to measure and it's very quantifiable, fantastic. But I keep looking at my business and saying we're at three and a half million ARR and I can't really point at a single marketing success. If you follow the data, we aren't a three and a half million dollar business. Like what happened? Where's the disconnect? And the disconnect is like a lot of stuff's hard to track. Like it's so hard to attribute because you do something over here and then 18 months later, someone who saw that comes and signs up and how could you ever know? So yeah, I, I agree with you. You just have to kind of have a hypothesis and commit to it longer than it probably makes sense to sometimes. Yeah. And then I think the other thing, and it's like, again, we're like product people. So it's so the opposite of like, okay, these are the specs for a new feature. We're going to build it. We're going to test it. It's going to pass these tests. We're going to deploy it. And then green light, like it works great. With marketing, it's like you do all that work and then it's like, maybe this might work someday. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And the competitive side of it, like I could write a really great blog post and HubSpot has a team of a hundred people writing blog posts. Like my great blog post on page five of the Google search isn't going to do anything. Whereas, yeah, back to the product thing. It's been years since I've built something and not been 100% confident it would provide a lot of value to customers. It's pretty easy to de-risk that, especially as you get more mature and, and you get a lot of customer feedback. But with marketing, it's like, who knows? I kind of hate it. <laughs> and, you know, and then there's this other thing that, like, as product people, at least for me, like, I start to feel this, like, guilt around, like, oh, maybe if we just build these features or start to build for these customers, we'll do better. And I'm hearing, in, at least in my head, like all the marketing people on Twitter are saying like, oh, don't just build features. You have to market. You have to, you're not working on marketing. It's like, well, yeah, I, I think uh, I am. I hear that voice. <laughs> it's like a pendulum though, where you, you probably want to be in the middle and like right now, all the conventional wisdom is like too far on the marketing side, I think, because it used to be too far on the product side where like a lot of people would have you think the product doesn't matter. You're wasting your time if you're building a product. I tried this once in my life where I kept hearing this advice, like just like come up with an idea for a product, build like not even an MVP, just like maybe a prototype or maybe not even that, just mock-ups or whatever, and then go sell it. And after like five or 10 people pay for it, then go build it. No one buys software like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so competitive on the product side now because it's like you not only have to solve a micro problem, you have to solve a whole problem. Like there's so many table stakes features in every category that if you don't have these things, you're just a non-starter, even if you do one thing better than the competitor. And then the quality, like 
if it's clunky, again, like that alone, it would definitely turn me off from a product. And I know many customers are looking at that, you know. The standards are so much higher. I wouldn't use my product today, if I'm being honest. Like I will in three months after we launch this redesign. I would sign up for it and take a look at it and be like, ugh, absolutely not. And that's not through lack of trying. It's just hard. Like, you know, you get bigger. It's hard to just change is harder. Everything you change, you have to be like, okay, there's 25,000 people. I might piss off with this. Got to be very careful about it. Well, if folks take anything away from this podcast, I guess it's marketing and growth is just hard. Yeah. <laughs> that's all we got. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> that does it for today's episode of Open Threads. What'd you think? Let me know on Twitter or X. I'm at CastJam. And you can find the full videos for all episodes of Open Threads on the YouTube channel for this podcast. That's youtube.com slash open threads. One more thing. I'd really appreciate if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on iTunes. That helps a lot. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the next one.